0: Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I have a very special guest who is now dialed in from a very hot New York to talk to me today and that is the debut novelist Lexi Freeman. Lexi is an Australian author and editor who graduated from Columbia University's MFA program in 2012. She's been a recipient of the NYC Emerging Writers Fellowship and Aspen Words Scholarship and has published fiction in the Literary Review. Before moving to New York in 2010, Lexi worked as an actress for several years with Belle Shakespeare Company, performing in As You Like It, Romeo and Juliet, and Pericles, all at the Sydney Opera House. She now lives in Manhattan, where she is sweltering through a very hot summer. Hello, Lexi. Hello. Hi. Hi. So you have just written an extremely funny novel called Inappropriation, which is just about to be released. I have to disclose that your aunt... Works with me. Your aunt is myself, Freeman, and um, she had told me about this book. She's been on this podcast before. She had told me about this book and told me that it was the next big thing. And I was absolutely thrilled to get it in the mail. And I think it is the next big thing, quite frankly. I think it's amazing. I was laughing out loud reading it, and I thought it was just so sparky and funny and amazing. So, Lexi, I was wondering if you could just introduce the listeners to Inappropriation. I'm sure.
1: Uh it's a satire um uh about identity politics, which is obviously a little bit of a risk. <laughs> uh and um but the book follows a fifteen-year-old girl, Ziggy Klein, as she um begins uh at a new school where she feels very much on the outside of um, the politics uh, and she aligns herself with some very radical feminists um, and and is sort of very preoccupied with being on the right side of um, of uh, identity and and issues pertaining to that but um, being a precocious but still fifteen year old um, young person she uh, gets very confused along the way as she is trying to navigate a very complex and already sort of mangled politics. Her friends have kind of confused um, Donna Haraway's uh, essay, A Cyborg Manifesto, and have some very strange ideas about um, identity. And, uh, and so Ziki sort of struggles through trying to be the right version of herself for her friends um and uh she eventually stumbles upon a kind of identity that she feels is foolproof um and uh this is kind of where the novel gets uh moves into slightly more absurd territory um, <laughs> as it as it um, you know critiques this moment in um, in uh, culture and politics, um, and so anyway, Ziggy embarks on a m- more radical quest for identity, which which starts to actually bring in ideas of consciousness and the self. Um, and uh, and although there's a lot of jokes about <laughs> everybody, yes. everyone is going to be offended. Um, I think the spirit of the book is definitely. Um, Uh, not it's it's not interested in in um, in hurting anybody it's more interested in what this idea of of the self is and how useful it is or how manipulated we are and um, I think the book kind of starts to really um, focus on that in this in the second half um, I'm worried I'm going to give too much away if I
0: keep talking. <laughs> no, no, um, no. You're not. You're not giving. I think you were giving just the amount, right amount to an reader. Oh, okay. So I'm going to ask you to read a section of the book, and that's a section sure. where um, Ziggy is going to a new school. has just started at a new school, and she's she does that classic thing that you often see in um, the high school novel or the high school movie, where she goes around and looks at the different social um, structures and different groups in that school. And I just going. Like, you to read it because I think it gives a sense of um, how different your book approaches all of these subjects, I think. Okay. Ziggy quickly learns
1: that the social stratification of her new school is far more complex and sinister than she first imagined. At the bacterial bottom of this food chain are the big boned unpretty, hunchbacked by the shame of it, girls with lazy eyes and facial hair, or the moly, birthmarked, bow-legged, lisping, erratically sobbing, suspected lesbian and cat molesting creatures unfit for boyfriends, and the impoverished scholarship students. This motley group receives the avoidant pity of unsalvageable spinsters. Ziggy assumes she slots in here. Above these girls sit the brilliant Asians, who are presumed virgins and suffer a constant stream of pens and erasers to their ponytails, especially on test days. Ziggy hopes their weekends are rich with friendship and adventure. Then come the cool, homework-averse Asians who hide behind heavy makeup and an air of disaffection. They are both sexy and cute in a perfect ratio that Ziggy's own slight form fails to achieve. She covets their straight noses and smooth, hairless arms. Compared to her Jewish school, Ledger has an abundance of Asians and a softly pervasive racism. But these boyfriended ones are driven around in the usual blur of steel and smoothie cups, granting them vassal status within Ledger's social kingdom. Just above them are the boarders, who dress in men's jeans, boat shoes, and blazers. Their administrated orphanhood has robbed these girls of aesthetic style and glamorous biography. They all play sport. It is assumed the boarders come from happy households with cheery alcoholic parents who buy them horses, hoping they'll return one day to Dubbo or Mudgee as country doctors and attorneys. The boarders are uncosmopolitan, culturally homogenous, socially regressive, and operating outside the centralized sexual economy. But Ziggy was wrong to doubt the rugby players' wider female appeal. They are only macho for the purpose of intraschool in sports. Because these girls get subhumanly smashed at weekly barn dances, returning to the city with grass-stained pant seats and tails of tampons finger-banged to emergency rooms, they still occupy the outer suburbs of Ledger's sprawling metropolis. Now Ziggy notices their girly anachronism. Those bright ribbons they wear in their ponytails have a priss made for frisking on blue moonlit beds of hay. Next come that broad case of attractive urban high achiever who arrive at school with hickeys or blowjob lockjaw or just the vacant look of sexual daydream, replaying the luscious hurt of rabbit sex with a random boy. Some of these girls are Asian. Many play sport and dress like wealthy farmers. But as long as they don't live on campus, even these pseudo borders are included in Year 10's sexually active civic majority.
0: Brilliant, that was so great, Lexi. I think that just um, encapsulates so much that it is funny and um, charming about the book. And how you kind of, what I, what I was marveled at when I was reading um, was how, as you say, everybody comes up for critique in this book. There's not anyone that's sort of um, held up as, <laughs> as beyond critique. And it strikes me that this book has an enormous degree of difficulty. How do you pull off a genuinely funny literary satire of identity politics. How do you do it? <laughs> um, uh, I don't know.
1: And um, I hope I did. Uh, I mean, I guess I think um, that it's important to, first of all, to make the protagonist, um, Ziggy, uh really struggling with her own identity and have um, some of the problems uh, of of feeling oppressed but also being an oppressor in some ways and privileged but also um, you know feeling like she doesn't belong or is excluded Um, trying to get the balance right and have her come up against a lot of um, these problems so that she um, has her own felt experience of, of them. And even when she gets things wrong or is, or is insensitive, um, she doesn't always have to put everything together and, and know um, what she's doing. But we as, as readers can kind of see that there's a journey happening and she is having these experiences that are hopefully making her a more compassionate and, um, an empathetic person. Um, so there's that. And then, and then I think, you know, um, I wanted to, um, talk in the book about empathy and, and, um, and really kind of examine it. And I, I did that in a couple of different ways through um, one of the characters, Tessa, is an aspiring actress. And so there's quite a lot in the book about her, um, uh, you know, experimenting with different identities herself and doing it through method acting and, um, and what it means to kind of um, step into someone else's experience. Um, and then there's also the workshops that Ziggy's mother runs, um, which are all about trying to understand and forgive mostly the parents of her clients, um, so their mothers and fathers and, and also uh, Nazis and, um, you know, who, and, and, and genocidal maniacs and just whomever in their ancestry has inflicted trauma and suffering on them. Um, so, just trying to kind of have a a balance between the comedy and the jokes, and um, and you know some real experiences of pain and suffering in the book that are sort of um, that uh, are being kind of contrasted, and um, and just this question of what does it mean to empathize, and um, and and when can you tell a joke or who can tell a joke? I think that was definitely something that was being explored in a self-conscious way. So that I think there's awareness throughout the book of the kind of audaciousness, the, the audacity of making jokes about something like the Holocaust or, you know, um, uh, I think there might be a, a black incarceration joke. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's diabolical. It's not, (laughs) it's not nice. And, um, uh, but I think it's it's trying to be thoughtful and that's the point, you know, because, because censorship, I think is the worst thing we can, we can slip into at this moment. And it does feel like that happens quite a lot. So, um, it's taking risks. Uh, but I think that, um, it's, it's worthwhile to do that.
0: Yeah, there's an earnestness to Ziggy, I think. She's genuinely trying to figure this all out and figure out who she is and, you know, she has various kinds of, um, stumbles into some very kind of weird things and weird ways of thinking, um, weird experiences with the Hitler Youth, for example.
1: Oh, <laughs> um, uh, yes. yes.
0: I, I had to. Say, I have to say I didn't expect the Hitler Youth to be in this, um, in this novel, but I'm very glad that they are. <laughs> In their own weird way. (laughs) But there is a real genuine kind of um, drive to kind of figure out questions of identity, questions about being a woman in the world. Um, She seems to be struggling with her sexuality at various points throughout the novel in various ways. Um, I was really interested in the way that the novel kind of compared different ways of thinking about feminism in particular. Um, So the girls at um, Ledger are very um, sceptical of second wave feminism. Um, sceptical of third-wave feminism in their own way as well and then of course you have Ziggy's mother who has this you know very um essentialist ideas about gender I suppose and you know leading to the feminine what are you trying Mm. to sort of um say about about feminism today I think
1: um well nothing definitive (laughs) which is um I think the most important thing well an important lens or, or way to, to at least, yeah, a frame um, for the discussion. But um, I guess I wanted to put forward all the ideas that seem to me to have validity and to be in um, conflict with one another. And, um, and at the end of the day, they're all kind of just ideas is sort of a direction the book is moving towards um and so obviously um there's there's a hope for a generosity and a um and uh an openness when it comes to ideas that might um you know be important for respecting someone's rights and dignity uh but I think I, I think I wanted to. I, I guess I was really compelled by um, this. Is this obviously predates um, the Me Too movement, which mm. you know started um, right like when I was basically finished the book. Um, so, uh, but this idea that. Um, while feminism is still kind of finding its feet or its new incarnation. um, uh, We, we still kind of, or no, while that's happening where we're also struggling in this moment with this question of whether gender is even real. So you've got, you know, the inequalities that women face and, and, And then you've also got this kind of um, gender non-binary movement uh, that essentially, you know, wants to do away with gender. And how do you do away with gender before you've kind of figured out what being a woman is and what it means to be a woman who is, who kind of uh, is um, treated equally to a man and whether that like what does that have to come first can we all just be people does it need to um how do we even talk about um feminism basically when when we're also moving away from the idea of of you know gender difference so i kind of wanted to have a few characters in dialogue about that and how complicated that is and um, and and then the sort of the kind of last, I guess, movement of that uh, symphony or cacophony <laughs> or whatever it is, um, is, you know, this idea that comes from the guru in the book, um, the um, Indian guru who is who is talking about, you know, the kind of illusion of the self, which is obviously a, a very is just, you know, a part of Most Eastern philosophy, but um, this idea that we are kind of trapped in um, our identities, which are all, you know, just these constructs, and so then if you add that in, (laughs) um, what what becomes what what happens then to a woman's sense of, of femaleness or a or a you know whatever it is? So I just I wanted to complicate it a little. A little more at the end with that um, and I don't think the book gets to any um, answer about any of this stuff uh, so I, I think what was most interesting to me was putting it out there um, as part of a, a conversation that I think is much larger than the book and um, and, and will hopefully be had out outside of
0: yeah, that's what I, that struck me as one of the most interesting things about this book because um, it 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 sits in that kind of um, dialogue. It doesn't suggest one way of thinking is the correct way of thinking. There's something that's appealing about um, all of the kind of philosophical entry points to feminism and all these ideas about identity politics that come from everybody. At some points, you you, you kind of sympathise with Siggy's with mother and the way she views things. At other way, and other times, you you think. Which is misguided, and and then you, know, you might side mm. with somebody else. So it, it it doesn't ask you to take a perspective; it just throws up all these ideas. It's a, to me read like much like a a philosophical novel, I suppose, even within this um, the madcap kind of action of the book. Um, but mm-hmm. I wanted to talk to you as well about the school story. Because this book is also a school story. It's about a a high school in Sydney. And as somebody who went to a high school in Sydney, um, an all-girls high school in Sydney, this read is very familiar to me. (laughs) And I suspect to you too. So how much of this was drawn from your own experiences growing up in Sydney? Um,
1: Well... A, a lot of it was. Uh, I mean, this. I, I did go to a private girls' school in Sydney, um, but you know, to protect the identity of that school, I've changed a lot of things. Um, hopefully, enough things. And um, <laughs> but, but there's definitely, I guess, a, a major uh, thing that I didn't, that I couldn't reproduce from my own. Um, uh, years was was all the technology um yeah. that is used in the book a lot of the a lot of the story centers around social media and um and um you know just the way that that uh that young people and all people um feel very compelled to share their lives um, with the internet. And that was definitely not something that we did as the internet. I don't think had quite made it to Australia or definitely not. I think, you know, I don't even, I didn't have an email until I was in university. So, um, <laughs> but I in terms of in year 12, so I was right. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that, that probably shows you that, um, what our age difference is, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, I, I think the the school stuff. Um, uh, I definitely felt kind of um, I, the character of Ziggy is not based on me in in most ways, especially sort of um, the sexuality and and um, and a lot of the. I mean, she doesn't have that much confusion about that stuff, mostly she is just trying to fit in with her friends. So it's not as, um, she's she's not as confused as I think um, it, it might, someone might read. But uh, the thing that, that did, that was like me was, um, I went to a school that was uh, not, uh, it was a um, Anglican school and and I'm Jewish and so, I think a lot of my experience of being at a school um, where I was a minority was, uh, you know, informed the book. And um, uh, and I think also being Jewish is a different thing in Australia to my experience of of it, having lived in New York for the last eight years. Um, it's it's like shocking to me when i come back to australia and i and i just hear this kind of very sort of casual anti-semitism you know just every every now and then someone will just you know say something about jews and money and and it's just like i remember from growing up and being at school and you know people kind of talk like that whereas that wouldn't happen um at least in new york I'm, i'm sure it happens plenty of places in the u.s but um it just uh i think that experience was kind of um yeah formative in some ways but but actually Ziggy doesn't really face any anti-semitism at at her school um uh but she just has a strong feeling of being um an outsider so,
0: and she has a strong sense of her identity as a Jewish girl. I think. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like
1: she fears a kind of um, othering that is not quite happening, or it's not happening for the reasons that she thinks. Um, you know, she's she's just behaving in a strange way and doing things that are um, bizarre. That's that's <laughs> more why people have. Um, shunned her so um and i guess what else could i say about the school
0: well i was Um, interested that the book kind of um culminates in the in the formal the school formal um i mean which is a bit of a spoiler but i think um leaving aside what actually happens at the formal which is amazing (laughs) it's it it struck me as such a like a, a a teenage girl experience that sense that everything is going to be worked out through the formal or that some kind of <laughs> yeah. it's going to be the culmination well, that, of something. Yeah.
1: Well, that's definitely how the book is kind of structured. It, the, the formal is sort of um, is is, um, this is presented at the very beginning of the book and it is something that we kind of follow as this event that, that it's going to change. Um, that it, you know, it's like a whatever, it's a sort of rite, rite of passage or something into a kind of sexualized um, uh, female identity um, or adult kind of um, female identity, and um, and an opportunity again to um, express um, this to, to express an identity uh, which is a huge preoccupation. Um, of, of all the girls at, at this school ledger and, and of the school I went to, and I'm sure most schools. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that the formal definitely has this mythical kind of um, promise that, that uh, yeah, that things will get will get worked out somehow, mm. uh, I don't remember anything interesting or good happening at my formal.
0: <laughs> um, no, neither do I. <laughs> Certainly yeah, very different yeah. from the one that Ziggy has.
1: Yes, I wish that had been my experience. I think my <laughs> formal was deeply disappointing and kind of boring. I, th- I think most of <laughs> Yeah,
0: Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk so much about different characters, but I don't want to ruin it, the experience of meeting them. For example, Ziggy's grandmother, Twinkles, I think has um, to be my absolute favorite character she's just <laughs> amazing I loved every scene that she was in but I don't want to spoil it so I wanted to turn to now um just ask a few questions about you and how you came to writing because you have a background as an actor there is some acting in this book Tessa is an actor um what what prompted you to to write this
1: um well uh so I had been an actor in Australia for. I went to drama school after high school and and worked for several years as an actor um, for the Bell Shakespeare Company and toured with them and um, and I was always writing plays, uh, but I don't think I wrote any very good play. In fact, I know I didn't write any good <laughs> plays. And um, but you know I was learning and um, and. Uh, and I, so I'd always, I'd always, you know, written and wanted to write. And I think I got to a point um, prematurely in my acting career where I decided it was um, maybe too difficult or that there wasn't a, a great future. And, um, and I think I quite hastily quit acting or didn't really quit, but just applied to an MFA or a couple of MFAs in New York where I, I wanted to live and um, got in and then decided that I would quit acting and, and, and pursue writing. And I'd only written a handful of short stories at that point, mostly to get into a program. So the whole thing was kind of, um, I don't know, counterintuitive, especially for my dad, who was just <laughs> horrified. Um, but uh, once I got to the program that I did at Columbia, um, it was just great because it was a very kind of, um, comprehensive literary education. You know, there was a lot of reading and we had amazing professors and, um, and I just learned a lot and, uh, uh, wrote a collection of stories that will never be published because it's not good, but (laughs) I learned a lot doing that. And, um, And then I worked as an editor for a few years at a small publishing house in New York. And as I was working, I started to write this book. Um, I actually started to write it because I had been working on a short film script with a friend who I'd met at a writer's conference, and she was a screenwriter, and we had this idea for a horror movie. Um, uh, And then I think I wrote the first kind of draft and it didn't really work. And then I think my friend had to, she had to like throw herself into another project. And I was like, well, I'm going to kind of take some of these ideas, the ideas that had been my ideas and, <laughs> um, and kind of maybe try and develop this into another, into, a into I think a short story or I don't know. And then it kind of just turned into this Book. And it was also, I think, around the time that, um, you know, Obama was president and and identity politics was around, but it wasn't quite as um, kind of, uh, the saturation was different and it wasn't as sort of um, vitriolic as it can be now or it has mm-hmm. been. Um, because there was no threat of Donald Trump yet. And so yes. people were kind of, you know, um, uh, so I kind of started out feeling like, oh, yeah, I want to write a satire about this because, you know, I'm a liberal and I don't, um, I I agree with, you know, 90 whatever percent of, mm-hmm. of um you know, progressive politics. But you know, every now and again, there was something that struck me as like a little extreme, and um, and a little hilarious. And I thought, well, this is great sat. You know, material for a satire. And a lot of people were like, uh, "So you're writing a satire about transgenderism?" <laughs> I was like, "No, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not what I'm doing." No. And and I had to question it a lot because I felt like, well, of course you know satire you don't write satire about the underdog that's you know not how it works but I guess my feeling as I as I continue to write and interrogate why I was writing and what I was writing um was that it wasn't a satire aimed at any minority groups or any you know vulnerable people it's a satire aimed more at a sort of a, an ideological apparatus on the left that um, can at times be a little extreme and a little, you know, just crazy. And, um, and you know, the people who are going to read my book are mostly people in that world. So I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't worry about turning anyone <laughs> into, you know, um, into... Into some alt right kind of men's movement uh, person, so I, I just, you know, wanted to sort of. Uh, I thought I thought this is a powerful kind of ideology, and it and it is, you know, like Trump might be the president, but when it comes to culture, um, you know, the left is absolutely in charge and um, and controls everything, and if if anything, have become more powerful and more kind of um, censorious since Trump's election. And, um, and I think that's a bit of a danger you have to watch out for. You don't want, um, art to have to all tow, the, you know, artists to have to toe the same, um, ideological line. That's sort of becomes a little dangerous. Um, so I guess I, I just felt like, well, it's risky, but you know, it's, it should be okay to, um, Make, make jokes about this kind of thing when, you know, when the spirit of the book and the kind of project at large is really um, just wanting to open up a conversation that feels like it gets shut down very quickly.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, no, and then, you know, we have a, a nice satire on um right men's rights groups as well within the book. So yeah. it's, really, yes. it's, it's really everybody that's targeted in this book. Um, I am going to make a bold prediction. I think this is the book of the year. It's going to be the the book that everyone talks about this year because I think it's so of the moment and um, I think it's so clever and funny and relatable and interesting and it made me think and laugh out loud and I thought it was just a delight from beginning to end. So thank you so much, Lexi. Thank you, Stephanie. That is so nice. That makes, (laughs) you know... uh
1: a huge difference to all of the anxiety that I (laughs) feel at this particular moment.
0: Okay. So (laughs) that's all we have time for, Alexis. Thank you so much for for dialing in all the way across the world. Um, And we hope to see this book everywhere being discussed. Thank you so much. It's been really nice to talk about it. It's been really lovely to have you. So this has been another episode of From the Lighthouse. If you could please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be extremely helpful. Lexi's book is available in August um, in any good bookshop. It has a extremely lovely cover, um, which is Red and Bold and fun, and you should definitely read it. So we'll see you again very soon. Bye.